Hello, everybody. So I can't believe we're here finally. This is the last episode of Grace for the Afflicted. And I just can't believe we're here. Like, that's crazy. I I've grown so much since we first started doing this. I'm sure you can tell that I'm like way more comfortable than I used to be. Um, anyways, it's just this has been a great journey, and this is our last episode of Grace for the Afflicted. And we're going to be taking a break. We'll be announcing and talking more about um, this next week. But uh, we're taking a break from um, the series of, or having a series for about a month or so. I'm working on a new one um, called Redeemed Sexuality, which we may talk more about next week. And yeah, but just know that we won't have another lesson series for about another month. Um while we get that prepared and whatever. So let's get into this last section on grace for the afflicted. So this section is called caring for those who are suffering. This chapter is called a fatal decision and it's on suicide. Peter D. Kramer, MD says suicide is what the death certificate says when one dies of depression. Warning signs. Communicating ideas of suicide or desire to die is the single strongest indicator of increased suicide risk. This warning sign may present as threats to hurt kill, hurt or kill oneself, looking for ways to kill oneself, seeking access to pills, weapons, or other means, or talking or writing about death, dying, or suicide. Immediate help from a mental health provider or emergency personnel should be sought if any of these overt expressions of heightened um, suicidality are displayed by an individual. Additional warning signs of heightened suicide risk include increased drug or alcohol use, no reason for living, no sense of purpose in life, anxiety, inability to sleep or sleeping all of the time, feeling trapped like there's no way out, hopelessness, withdrawal from friends, family, and society, rage, uncontrolled anger, seeking revenge, acting recklessly or engaging in risky activities, seemingly without thinking, and dramatic mood changes. It is important to remember that warning signs are only meaningful as a collection or group. The presence of a single I a single isolated warning sign is usually not reflective of increased suicide risk. Although suicide is often preventable, it is important to understand that when a loved one sadly follows through with their suicidal thought, no one is to blame. Sometimes, no matter how hard we try, those we love still act on their hopeless feelings and end their lives. Each year, approximately 40,000 individuals die by suicide in the United States. It is estimated that there is one suicide death for every 25 attempts. Suicide is the 10th most common cause of death for all ages. With middle school or middle-aged adults accounting for the largest uh, portion of suicides, which is 56%, Suicide is the third most common cause of death among children and adolescents ages 10 to 14, and the second among those 15 to 24. While women are more likely to have suicidal thoughts and three times more likely to attempt suicide, men die by suicide at nearly four times the rate of women and 
uh, represent 77.9% of all suicides. This gender difference is due to the fact that men tend to use more lethal means when attempting suicide, such as firearms or hanging, while the most common method of suicide in women is poisoning or overdose. Individuals living with mental illness are greatly incre- are, are greatly increased um, risks of suicide. Approximately 90% of those who die by suicide are suffering from a psychiatric disorder at the time of the death. The abuse of alcohol or other drugs coupled with uh, depression exponentially increases an individual's likelihood of suicide. Stressful life events such as divorce, a death in the family, or a loss of a job, and prolonged stressful circumstances such as harassment or bullying all increase an individual's risks of suicide. A serious or chronic health condition, chronic pain, and a family history of suicide attempts are all factors that increase suicide risk. Once an individual has attempted suicide, they are at an increased risk for future attempts. A diverse group of individuals mentioned in the Bible considered suicide during periods of distress, while 12 actually took their own lives. Men and women, rich and poor, young and old, prophets and kings, and tyrants all found themselves in hopeless circumstances from which they believed that suicide was their only way out. The suicidal thoughts of seven individuals are described in the scriptures. Six of those individuals cry out directly to God asking or um, asking him to kill them and allow them to die. The seventh, the Philippian jailer, differs in that he was preparing to commit suicide when Paul and Silas stopped him. In each case, rather than grant their desire to die, God inter, uh, intervenes and provides comfort in their time of crisis. All seven individuals were transformed by their in- interaction with God or his chosen representatives and no longer desire to die. And so the, the biblical characters are Moses. Um, his reason for suicide was stress of leadership. And God's response was to appoint others to help lead Um. In Numbers 11, 10 through 17, Elijah, he was in fear of Jezebel, and God sent an angel with food and water and came near to Elijah, called Elisha to be his disciple. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 20. Job, um, we all know Job's story. God answered, um, appears to Job in a whirlwind, Job 6, 8 through 11 and 38 through 41. Jonah, his he had a lot of fear and anger and God sent a fish and provided shade from a bush in Jonah 1, 12 through 17 and 4, 1 through 11. Tobit, I think I said that right. Um, his was poverty and loss of sight. God sends, an, uh, sends the angel Raphael and then Sarah has a false accusation, death of a husband, and God sends angels, or God sends the angel Raphael, and then the Philippine jailer, which we just talked about earlier in Acts 16, 25 through 34. The 12 suicidal deaths that are detailed in the scriptures fall into three broad categories. Heroic matriar- uh, matriarchum, I think I said that right, battle or conflict related, and personal distress. Heroic matriarchum and heroic matriarchum, a person knowingly sacrifices his life in order to further a belief, cause, or principle. 
There are four examples of this type of suicide in the Bible. Samson's death during his destruction of the Philistine temple is the most well-known. All four biblical characters are described as courageous for their sacrifice and considered heroic examples. Even today, individuals who commit this type of suicidal act, such as a soldier who falls on a live grenade to save his comrades or a follower of Christ who willingly dies for their faith are honored for their sacrifice and redeemed as heroes. Jesus himself speaks to this type of sacrificial act, foreshadowing his own death on the cross when he says, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends, John 15, 13. The motivation behind battle or conflict-related suicide in the scriptures is to maintain honor by avoiding capture and subsequent torture at the hands of one's enemies. The most well-known battle or conflict-related suicide in the Bible is likely the, um, that of King Saul during his final battle with the Philistines. Individuals who commit suicide in, their man- in this manner are eulogized in the Bible based on the quality of their life that they lived. If they were evil individuals during their lifetime, their suicide is seen as divine punishment. Uh, Judges 9.54, 1 Chronicles 10.13-14, 1 Kings 16.19. While those who had lived righteously are remembered with honor. People are most commonly driven to suicide when they view their current circumstance as being completely hopeless and feel as if they have no way to change things for the better. Three examples of suicide resulting from personal distress are found in the scriptures. The most well-known example is that of Judas, who became distressed as a result of betraying Jesus and hung himself. He was seen as a traitor to Jesus by his followers, and his body was left hanging in the tree until the rope broke in his bloated and rotting body burst open on the ground in Acts 1.18. This extreme example should not be taken as a representative of how those who personally hurt, whose personal distress led them to suicide were seen in the Bible times. And other two scriptural examples. Athropol, I think I said that right, is shown honor after his death by being buried in the tomb of his father, 2 Samuel 17.23. While no Information is given of the events following um, Plotomy Macronon's death. It also is important to realize that all of these biblical examples of suicide ide- ideations described here happened during personal distress and mental illness in the church. James 5.14 Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The Hope and Healing Center and Institute, the organization I lead, and this is Dr. Mr. Stanford, or is he an MD? I'm not sure, but says, that is my dog, I'm so sorry, <laughs> sits on the campus of a large Episcopalian church. Recently, the church's uh, receptionist called and asked if I could come over because there was a suicidal woman in the front office. I walked to the church and found Kate talking with one of my with the clergy. Kate, a disheveled um, 45-year-old woman, was obviously in distress. We spoke for about an hour. During our conversation, she told me she was afraid to go home because she might hurt herself. She shared with me that she had struggled with depression in the past but was presently not receiving any treatment. That morning, she and her boyfriend, with whom she lives, had a heated argument about their financial difficulties. I helped her calm down and then provided connections to local resources that could help with 
her employment and financial problems. I also assessed her suicidality and found that while distressed, she was not actively suicidal. I scheduled an appointment for her with one of our mental health coaches at the HHCI and she began seeing her the following week for depression. Kate told me she did not attend church, leading me to ask why she had come to this particular congregation for help. Her parents had been married there 50 years earlier. The story is repeated daily in churches across the country. Research shows that individuals struggling with mental health problems are more likely to go to a clergy member before a mental health provider or a physician. A survey of pastors by author Amy Simpson for her book, Troubled Minds, Mental Illness, and the Church's Mission, found that 44.5% of pastors report being approached two to five times a year for help with mental illness, while 32.8% report being approached six or more times. Unfortunately, the average average faith community is not equipped to effectively assist or support individuals with mental health problems. A recent LifeWay research study found that only 28% of churches surveyed maintained a referral list of local mental health care providers. How would your church have assisted Kate? Viewed through the eyes of faith, the fact that those struggling with mental health problems are seeking assistance from the church first is a divine opportunity. God is sending those broken by mental illness to us so that we might receive hope and healing. Given that 450 million individuals in the world are presently struggling with mental health problems, it is time that the church recognize the role in what may be the great mission field of the 21st century. The involvement of the church in mental health is this missing piece necessary to transform our broken system, making it acceptable or accessible and more effective. Our present mental health care system is not a true system of care. Rather, it is a set disjointed resources that individuals and families find difficult, if not impossible to access. Existing resources are critically important, but on their own, they do not provide a holistic approach to meeting the needs of people struggling with mental illnesses. In addition, many people who would benefit from professional care do not receive it, largely because they are unable to find an open door to the mental health care system. The body of Christ offers four things the mental health care system presently lacks. One, a hope that transcends circumstances. Two, a holistic view of humans. Three, accessibility, and four, supportive community. Hope is the fuel that drives the engine of mental health recovery. As long as one has hope, there's motivation and opportunity for change. Historically, severe mental illness has been conceptualized as a chronic medical condition in which stability is the best possible outcome for treatment. The hope presently offered by the mental health care system is symptom reduction and illness management. The church, however, understands that hope is more than a feeling. Hope is a person, Jesus Christ. Hope in Christ transcends circumstances and sustains us when the world around us um, sees the situation as hopeless. Second, the person struggling with a mental health problem needs a holistic approach to treatment that takes into account all Um, aspects of their being, physical, mental, spiritual, and relational. Treatments and interventions that focus solely on a single aspect of a person's being can bring limited relief at best. A holistic mental health approach, however, is comprehensive, addressing the whole individual, physical needs, mental needs, spiritual needs, and relational needs. Oh, um, 
the church's holistic view of being human offers those struggling with a mental health problem a more complete framework for recovery. Third, accessibility is perhaps the biggest problem with our present system, but imagine what would happen if churches were equipped to effectively serve as a front door to mental health care. This would mean that individuals in psychological distress who seek assistance from the church would be quickly in, um, identified and referred to a professional care. What if churches were equipped not to not only to be effective front doors, but also places where peer-led mental health services were available on-site. These services would not replace professional mental health care, but instead would serve an, as an adjunct to those resources. Basic helpful interventions such as psychoeducation and support groups are ideal for imp- uh, implementation in a church setting. Services such as these, led by non-professionals, have been shown to be effective in managing symptoms and maintaining stability and have um, the added benefits of minimal cost and maximum accessibility. Finally, a supportive community is a necessary factor in, su- in a successful mental health recovery. Churches offer individuals and their families an accepting and supportive environment in which they can pursue healing and wholeness. The church is called to love one another. This makes available available to the afflicted and their family community a care and uh, respite from the struggles as- a respite from the struggles associated with mental health and problem. The fact that individuals living with mental illness are seeking assistance and counsel from the church should prompt us to rise up and be the hands and feet of Christ to the suffering people. This is best done through the application of both biblical truths and mental health resources. God is leading his hurting children to us. It's time that the church stopped ad, um advocating its role in mental health and start leading. My hope is that this book has given you a better understanding of the clinical and spiritual aspects of mental disorders. As I've said before, with mental illness, there is no easy answers and there is no cookie cutter set of action points that will be effective in every situation. The best advice I can give you is simply to let grace be your guide. If God has placed a mentally ill person in your life and you in theirs, how will you respond? And I think that's a great way to end this book. Um, We all need to think about what we can do and what we as a church can do to help people with mental illness because of how, how rampant it is in our world today. And I feel like this series has really challenged us to maybe start something in our local congregation. So, um, if you ever if you start something or if you actively do something I would like to hear um you can message us or you can email us our email is breaking taboo at gmail.com we would really love to hear from you or you can dm us on instagram um would really love to hear from you um I'm also gonna make us a twitter called breaking apostolic taboo and yeah So thank you all for listening. This has been a great series and I am Bailey Romans and let's start talking.